Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, gender and journalism. We've been looking a lot over the last few months and a couple of years about how women are covered in politics, focused on Elizabeth Warren and then Hillary Clinton before that. And obviously the Me Too movement prompted a lot of discussion and introspection in journalism about how sexual harassment and sexual abuse are covered in the media. We've spent less time looking at newsrooms as places to work for women. So we've recently seen the launch of The 19th, which is a website focused on covering women in politics. Interestingly, one of the one of the things about that website is that they will be offering six-month maternity leave to employees of The 19th, which is something a lot of newsrooms haven't caught up to. And the subject of why there aren't more women at the top of mastheads and how women are treated when they do get into senior leadership positions is as live as ever. I'm thrilled to be joined by Jess Brammer, who's the editor-in-chief of HuffPost UK. She formerly was the executive editor, and she joins us now. Hello, Jess. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's great for you to be here. Uh, congratulations on your new job. You've been there since since when? When did you join HuffPost? You were at you were at the BBC and at ITM before that. I was. Yeah, I've been at HuffPost about two years. I joined as head of news. Um, before that, I was the deputy editor of Newsnight, which is the BBC's big kind of nightly current affairs um, politics show. Right over yeah. here in the UK. Right, and I know that you were part of the team that led the coverage of the Grenfell Tower fire. And some, I was. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was. Um, so. The reason that I wanted to talk to you about gender is that you announced, or was it at the same time that you were named editor-in-chief that you also announced that you would be having a baby in the summer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds like that was my kind of pregnancy announcement, but um, people who know me already knew that I was heavily pregnant. Um, I just mentioned, because whether we like it or not, it's extremely noteworthy and unusual. Um, so I mentioned when I said that I was becoming editor-in-chief that it meant a huge deal to me um, that my bosses had given me this job when I'm, in fact, seven months pregnant. Yeah. Right. So when does the baby do? Uh, the baby is due the first week of May. Okay. Um, and I'll be working until the end of April, hopefully. How long? How, how long do you expect to be to be off? So it was so interesting listening to your introduction, um, where you were saying that it's exciting that an outlet is offering people six months of maternity leave. Because I'm talking to you from Europe, where that's like considered to be the bare minimum, basically. Yeah, right. um, so I'll be going back uh, in the new year. I'm planning on taking eight months off, um, and then my partner, is, who's also a journalist, funny enough, um, is going to take a couple of months. But it, it, it's a really interesting thing because obviously HuffPost is a U.S. company and I work for Editorial Independent, but the, a U.K. arm of that U.S. company. And here in Europe, um, people sometimes judge women for taking less than a year of maternity leave. It's very yeah. different um, to the U.S. context. Yeah. So I'll be taking, yeah, about eight months. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, um, NPR in the U.S. offers eight weeks. Gannett, wow. Gannett offers six weeks. Uh, Tribune Publishing, zero. Zero. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm honestly astonished to hear that. I I feel like an ingenue, but that's genuinely incredibly shocking to me. Yeah. Um, just speaking not, you know, not even as a journalist, just speaking as a, as a sort of European, yeah. um, where I think the attitude in all European countries to maternity leave is completely different to the States. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and what's so interesting is that I mean, newsrooms are so far behind themselves and so eager to criticize other other industries and other companies mm. when, when they fall behind. Let, let me ask you um, first whether 
you were worried about what the response of HuffPost might be and whether that would affect your move up mm-hmm. to editor-in-chief? Interesting. I, so I'm 37, and I um, have definitely found myself in the last few years, after a decade of, of running very hard at my career um, and moving a lot through different jobs, have found myself in the last two years not applying for big editor jobs because mm-hmm. I felt like I was entering the, the, the years in my life that I wanted to maybe take my foot off the pedal a bit and have children. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't really based on any evidence that I had that my bosses um, would behave a certain way. You know, I was at the BBC, which is an incredibly progressive organization and offers great maternity support, as does HuffPost. But I think I probably, like a lot of women, kind of second-guessed myself mm-hmm. and... It's it's difficult um, when you've been, you know, going in one direction in your career to kind of think, you know, you don't want to be a burden and, and it's a sort of complex set of emotions. And so I sort of mentally decided that 2020 definitely wasn't about my career. It was about deciding to take some time to do something different and to go off and have a child. That wasn't definitely based on um, anything I'd heard from my employers. And actually, any conversations that I'd had um, with my boss, Lydia Polgreen um, in the States, or Louise Rue, who runs all our international editions, had been incredibly supportive on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I could honestly say that I thought that they were going to react badly because I, I, you know, they're a very progressive organization and I should have known that they'd be fantastically supportive. I think like a lot of women who are coming up to this period of their lives, I felt a bit insecure about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a bit more vulnerable in my career than I previously had, um, which I then learned very quickly I needn't have because they've been really, really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably note that Lydia Polgreen, who you mentioned, um, is on the CGR board of overseers. Just a bit of right. um, uh, just an editor's note there. But you, you remember that meeting and you were you were nervous. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I think any woman who's been in this situation will know it's a slightly nerve-wracking thing anyway, because yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a personal bit of news. Yeah, um, which is why we're talking I about it on a podcast here. Yeah, right? Because um, it kind of, hopefully, someone else might listen to this and, and might think, yeah, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's not me, maybe I'm not weird to no, absolutely. have these feelings. Um, but I have a great relationship with my direct boss, Louise, and um, I actually told her really early mm. um, when I found out I was pregnant because I was exhausted and I work really, really long hours, as do most people in newsrooms. Um, and I kind of had flagged that maybe I wouldn't be around so much in the evenings, to not, not that they were kind of bothering me with messages, but I just wanted to flag that um, I have a bit of a reputation for always being available um, and, and working long hours and that I was pregnant and therefore I was going to need a bit more time to recuperate in the evenings and she was just so happy and supportive Um, and actually as we've got closer to the point where I've been working out my maternity leave when they gave me the promotion they made me promise I wouldn't come back earlier than I had previously planned which you know I yeah I know I massively appreciated um, because yeah, obviously there was a shift in my perspective, and I sort of thought, oh God, you know, maybe I, maybe I should come back before January. Um, but they were adamant that I should stick to the plans I'd made before. You know, so so in, that was great. It's so interesting. You were talking about the this sort of insecurity, maybe that that you and you and you you said you thought maybe other women brought into this situation. I don't know mm. if, that, if that if that's the right way to say it, but just sort of unsure how this is going to be received. Is it your sense? I mean, mm. did, did do you feel that that's fairly pervasive still now when you talk to colleagues? Yeah, 
I do actually. I mean, I've I've been lucky to work um, in some incredibly supportive newsrooms, and I and I, I feel very aware that I'm talking to you from a different geographical location where I think culturally it is pretty different. Yeah. But I know from when I um, announced it and I said on Twitter I've got this job and I'm I'm heavily pregnant and that's great. Um, I had lots and lots of messages from people across lots of industries, but some journalists saying that's so good to hear because I feel like I was passed over for promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people reached out to me and said, I'm pregnant and I haven't told my employers yet. And, you know, you've given me hope because I'm quite nervous about talking to them. I think, to be honest, it's quite um, a, a, a sort of challenging time of your life anyway, isn't it? Because you're, um, particularly if you've been someone who's been very driven by their career, mm-hmm. um, you're reassessing um, how you're going to react to this whole new role um, that you have. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a time of heightened emotion anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps, heightened vulnerability as you kind of readjust to um, things in your life. So, you know, I I think things are getting better, but we are talking about generations of learned behavior Mm -hmm. in terms of worrying about the way that women will be treated when they say they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. I've heard you, or I read somewhere, you compared this, you know, sort of newsrooms getting better at um, acknowledging this and embracing this part of their employees' motherhood. It's part of this this broader need to sort of diversify the newsrooms in general, right? I mean, just get people in Mm. from various backgrounds, Mm. various races, various sort of socioeconomic backgrounds. It's all part of the same sort of same continuum in your mind? Yeah, I I definitely think that's true. I mean, I think journalism is is facing a, a crisis. And a big part of that is the fact that we need to we need to strive more than ever to kind of speak to our audiences and also to represent our audiences in the work that we're doing. The only way to do that is to diversify our newsrooms. And diversity has so many aspects to it. Um, but clearly, you know, I, I've, I've witnessed as I came up through my career, great women who, you know, did really good stuff in newsrooms and then disappeared in their mid-30s. Mm-hmm. And there was a distinct lack of women in senior roles um, and the ones that were in senior roles tended not to be the ones that had children. Now, obviously, that's going to have an impact on editorial decision making if, if there's an absence in the room of um, mothers. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the same as if there's an absence in the room of people of a certain ethnicity or a certain sexuality. Um, it seems to me for journalism to really survive, we are going to have to become more representative because then we can serve audiences better. Has this um, made you more attuned to how motherhood is portrayed and written about in media? Have you been paying more attention to those kind of stories? Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, it's probably made me more attuned to how pregnancies written about, and uh-huh. I imagine... <laughs> You'll take it one step at a time. Probably, um, <laughs> exactly. It will probably happen to me after May. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm going through that enormous identity change that yeah. everybody goes through when they have kids, right? Yeah. So yeah. I guess that's still to come. Yeah, I have four kids, and I really right. I do pay a lot of attention to how... Um, fathers are portrayed in media, which I have a lot of opinions mm. about, but that, we'll talk about that another time. This this thing that you talked about where you were sort of, you know, you were sort of on this sort of track, on this intense news track, and how that had sort of, you were worried about how pregnancy and having a child may affect that. Did he have the same concerns? Oh, God. I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? And the answer is no. Uh-huh. <laughs> He 
he is um, going to take a little bit of time off to look after the baby um, and has definitely, like when we discussed the timing around when we have kids, he definitely expressed no concern, but like he talked about the impact it would have, have on his career. And that was a really interesting conversation because I remember saying to him, I have never seen a man's career held back by right. having children. Yeah. Um, and that has been my experience. That yeah. I've seen, I've worked with fantastic male editors who have, you know, gone off and their partners have had babies and I've never seen it hold a man back, I have to say. So, yeah, yeah, I'd be lying if I said that it was the same situation for him. It's definitely not. I think you're, I I 100% agree. Mm. So what what do we, in terms, you know, the stats that we started with, acknowledging that there is this cultural gap between Europe and and the U.S. on, on this and any other kind of social safety net issues. But as the news business gets tougher and as companies cut back and as, you know, news organizations are sold to hedge funds that are looking more and more at the bottom line, does, I mean, all that would seem to sort of signal that it could be, it could get worse for women approaching motherhood in newsrooms rather than better. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I really believe I, I really believe the diversity stuff, and I don't believe it in a tokenistic way. I believe that it's one of the ways for us to get out of the crisis that we're in at the moment. Mm. Um, so I think we, w- once we persuade ourselves properly um, that it enriches the content that we're making, I mean, I kind of hate the word content, but it, once we start to believe that it improves our journalism, um, which I think we definitely do believe um, at HuffPost, where I work, then I think you start to make a kind of financial argument um, for supporting people to ensure that they can stay in museums after they have kids. Yeah. And in the UK, last week, I think we reached the point where over a third of national newspapers here are now edited by women. It was like a, mm-hmm. a real moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually a couple of people have asked me, you know, why, why has this happened now? And I think it's basically like, this is what happens as you start to remove the barriers mm-hmm. over the course of the last decade. Here, as as organisations have become more progressive, but also just more mature about about their assumptions about women after they have children, and more realistic about um, the value that they bring to newsrooms, as you start to remove those barriers, it makes sense that brilliant women are going to rise to the top because yeah. uh, there are loads. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think there are lots and lots of reasons to feel pessimistic about the future of the journalism industry, but on this one, I'm I feel quite optimistic actually. Mm. Just best of luck to you in, in May and in general. Thank you. Are you worried about having news withdrawal or you don't think that's going to be a problem? Yeah, no, I am worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am worried about that, especially because, of course, I live with another journalist who yeah. will be um, coming home from the world that I know so well. But I, I've also been assured by everybody that I'll be far too busy and too tired. And care that much about it. Yeah, and maybe you'll realize, as I have, that it's like um, we can live without it and be okay. Be okay, at least for a little while. Yeah, maybe. Imagine, yeah. Uh, terrific to talk to you. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers. So you can read all about gender and every other issue having to do with journalism on CGR.org. You can get our daily email called The Media Today by clicking on our website. And you can follow us on social media and on The Kicker every week. See you next week. Bye.